Welcome to Wellverse, FSG's podcast. Hello, I'm Emily Bell, and I am an executive editor at FSG, and uh, I'm very pleased to be talking to Catherine Lacey and Laura Vandenberg. Uh, could you say hello, each of you, and uh, and tell us the name of your book that is coming out? Hi, I'm Catherine Lacey, and I'm publishing a novel called Pew. And hi, I'm Laura Vandenberg, and I have a story collection coming out called I Hold a Wolf by the Ears. I like both of these books very much. Um, I I would. I, uh, I edited them, which is pretty cool. Um, another cool thing is that it is the fourth book for both Catherine Lacey and Laura Vandenberg that I've worked on. So I know I know these these people and their their minds pretty well at this point. So it might get a little insidery and apologies, uh, but I don't know any other way. So we're gonna try to keep it interesting and professional and not uh, you know just like personal and gossipy. But also I don't get to see them all that often or talk to them all that often. So I may just. Uh, ask questions that are not on the script. Um, and I hope you all will bear with us. I actually was thinking about the last time I read these books, both of them, it was probably a year ago, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Boy, boy, do I wish I had the time to sit down and reread the books for pleasure, but um, and I'd be far, far later on edits to other writers than I already am. So um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. And it, you guys must feel that way too, that you, uh, there's so much distance from the time you actually, you know, put your pencil down and stop working on the project. And then a year later, you have to talk about it with your editor. And we're like, we don't know. We don't remember. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a weird, it is a weird thing. I don't know if you feel this way, Catherine, or if this is your experience, but I do often feel like by the time the book that like Emily, you read a year ago is coming out, it's like I progressed on to different projects and so I'm like oh yeah I remember that book I think I think in some ways my memory um is more distinct with stories because it was like I can focus on like the moment in time in which the story was written um or like a specific sort of place in in time but with a novel it's just this it's this like like merge of years and by, yeah. then by the time I come out of it and have some distance, and I'm starting a new project. I'm like, what? What was <laughs> the thing? But you feel thing? like the the stories stay like closer to you just because they were faster. Yeah, or I think because they weren't written. I mean, not that a novel is written all. I think something about them being written as discrete entities, yeah, and sort of being gathered together in a a book. Um, it's like I can remember with a little bit more sharpness, how the discrete entity came to be and then how this sort of like intentional gathering happened where I feel like I spend so much time with novels in this state of just like profound bewilderment. Mm -hmm. By the time I get to the end, I've like found my way out of the forest. Like for the life of me, I could not tell you how or why, but I just know that I've, I've made it to the clearing. Um, and then to kind of narrate that in this context is basically like, I'm like kind of not making it up in like a deceptive way, but I, yeah, but I am kind of like making it up and that I'm making a, a sort of um, causal story out of something that did not feel so in the moment. Yeah. 
I really like imagining both of you blindfolded, just walking through a dark room with your arms out like a zombie. And that's your writing process. I'm like, there's just yeah, I mean, that's literally it. Yeah. yeah, that is, that's, that would be pretty, yeah, pretty close. Maybe the next time we teach, that's just what we should do. Be like everyone gets blindfolded. <laughs> I used to work at Actually, yeah. it's not a bad exercise for like when we're back in like real spaces with, with, people I'm like I am teaching a workshop right now remotely and um but they they've all read each other's stuff but I yeah but like the idea of coming up with for exercise for exercises for people to be doing remotely I don't think that would be a bad one like the exercise is like make a room so that you won't fall on your face and kill yourself and then set different objects around the room that are hopefully not too breakable and then blindfold yourself get a little bit dizzy go in the room and try and find things yeah and like, that's maybe, I guess maybe that's not actually, you're not writing anything, but somehow it feels better than like giving you a writing prompt. Cause yeah. I don't know, good luck with that. Afterwards. I do yeah. think also there's something there now. So, okay. Now I'm getting like really into this idea. My students this fall are going to be like, but I think like, and maybe if you did it in different or you did it on multiple occasions like over a period of time I do think it would hone like spatial intuition and mm -hmm. I think that something like spatial intuition is sort of like what guides writing you know what I mean like it's not just like bewilderment like I'm like I have no idea what I'm doing and I'm just like pulling stuff out of my ass but it's like it's it's in, it's intuitive where it's being guided by it's being guided by something both within me and without, but it's just, it's not something I could, I could necessarily like articulate in completely clear and concrete language. Totally. And then getting past the, uh, the very like serious moment of self-consciousness doing something like that so that you can like articulate how you actually feel in that moment or what you're observing, because yeah, there's so much of just like sitting and like, well, I don't know. I'm not a writer. I think writing would be crazy, but no, <laughs> I, I am writing my book now. And I think most people who like want to be writers spend most of their time in that phase, you know, and like can't get past the, the self-conscious, like I, I am writing. watching yourself do it. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. 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 yeah um, I feel like I always describe like the, the only way it's ever worked is that like I trick myself into, into doing work. Yeah, like I tricked myself into doing to making a novel to begin with. Like, uh, like I don't want to write a novel. I never every every time I finish a novel, I'm like never ever again. Not gonna do yeah. it. I'll do something else now. And I just keep doing them because I I have instilled some sort of mechanism in my brain that tricks me into doing a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And then all of a sudden, like I have a, a an incomplete novel. And there's no feeling worse than having an incomplete novel. And so you're forced to complete the fucking novel yeah. because it, you can't bear to have an incomplete novel on your laptop. And I don't, I, I never want to start a novel. 0% of me has ever wanted to sit down and like, now I will begin chapter one. I will begin a novel. I've never wanted to do that, but eventually I have an incomplete novel and that's a problem. Yeah. I once heard uh, two writers in conversation. I won't name them, uh, but <laughs> it was that in New York. You will later. I know. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna turn off the record except i'll probably forget to turn off the record and then you'll hear me <laughs> um but it was one one younger writer real great writer 
more earnest saying he just like sits down and does the work and like every day goes to his desk and does the work. And then the older writer who like, I love, he, he was kind of like, I just avoid it like the plague. Like I just, I can't do it. Can't do it. Can't do it. And then it gets to a point where like, Oh, it's just chased me so hard. I finally have to sit down and do it. But it was, it was like such an interesting distinction. And also I, identify with the the latter just like oh god i don't want to do that really really hard emotionally draining thing now i'm talking about editing but uh but then once you do it you're like this is cool i am learning things i'm I'm glad this is my job my calling yeah i think it's a weird kind of paradox of both like longing to do the work yeah and and sort of running away from it but i feel like also where there's tension there's like energy you know yeah Um, so in some ways, I feel like if I could just sit down and like pour forth novels, um, like I think I wouldn't be as compelled to do it. You know what I mean? Like like the tension right. is part of what makes it sort of interesting and naughty. Yeah. Um, yeah. There, like the, uh, the, okay. the question of whether or not you're going to pull it off, you mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Or the question of whether, like, are you doing it? Should you be doing it? Do mm-hmm. I ever want to write another novel <laughs> again? Also, like, you said, you said naughty, like, K-N-O-T-T-Y, and I'm over here thinking, like, N-A-U-G. <laughs> I was, you know, I was thinking like you. Lower stories sometimes are a little bit naughty, so there's some, like, badly behaved kind of uh, I, I don't know. I'm. I love. You know what's so funny about I, your your characters in your short fiction, especially is, and a little bit in the third hotel as well. But like, I feel like in in um, I hold the wolf by the ears. They're just they're fucking sneaking around and being little creeps. You know, like every single one of them. With their cameras in the dark, you're like, yes, I love you. I mean, I'm terrified of you, but I love you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's so, it, you know, I read, I read um, Island, Isle of Youth before I met you. And I think I had this vision of like, it's going to be this creepy motherfucker. And then I met you (laughs) and you're not a creepy motherfucker at all. And so nice. I know. Thank you so much. I mean, I, I, I'm friends with a lot of creepy motherfuckers. Like, I like a creepy motherfucker too. There's nothing wrong with that. But like, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I just it's it's nice to uh, I don't know. It's nice when there's some there's some writers I know who like they're every single one of their characters is just them, and sometimes that's fine. And then there's other people that like it's some part of you that you're actually like you're holding hostage. That's what I feel like. I feel like. Laura Vandenberg is like holding all these people hostage in herself. And she is like the outward facing person who's going to like pay her bills on time and like, you know, have a dog and, and a husband and like function and everything. But actually you're just like packed to the nose full of these like insane weirdos. Um, I love I don't know, that. I like it. I, yeah, I'm, I'm so, yeah, I, I like that too. I feel like, I know I was just thinking that at the, um, at the the gym that I'm not currently going to, but my nickname is because I show up and I'm like so happy to be there. And I'm like, hi everyone. Cut out. What is your nickname? Smiley. Smiley. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You should read my books. Yes. (laughs) New nickname. 
<laughs> I'm, yeah, I was Great. like, I am smiling. I am so happy to be here. I'm so happy to be alive. And I'm like so ready to fuck someone up. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Like we can, yeah, we contain, we contain multitudes. I think um, the first time I saw Laura Vandenberg's like uh, aggression in an outburst, we were in, we were all in Austin for the Texas Book Festival, like four years, it was four and a half or maybe it would be five years ago this fall, which is crazy. Maybe. But we have been out, like, definitely having drinks, and we were walking home to our hotel room um, on 6th Street, and some guy was just like, like, hey, babies, basically, and Laura just goes, fuck you! It was so, <laughs> so amazing. I was just like, whoa. I it. it was just like, and he was just like, he, just, he basically like jumped <laughs> She off. looks so nice. Yeah, exactly. He jumped off the sidewalk into the street, like ran the other way. <laughs> Like, I'm going to walk home late at night with Laura. And I'm like, I'm here at night. It was great. And that's before you even started boxing, I think. Yeah. The, the element of surprise. This is like, this is the thing about like an air side, you know, you just like, you just don't know. You don't know what's coming. You never know. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, okay. Maybe I'll try to bring it back to something that our listeners might want to hear. Uh, well, I'm curious, Laura, I know that you are very into astrology and I, this is, there's no segue. I just, yeah. <laughs> um, but Catherine, I can't remember if you are. I, like my, my feeling is like, you like it, but you're not like deep into it. I think this is accurate. I think I, cause I grew up super Christian and I really believed it. And I've been like, uh, I meant to, I meant to read the Bible again before Pew came out so that I could like remember some of the things that I was uh, obsessed with and then reacting to like as a kid. Um, but I'm just now like reading the Bible again. But uh, the wonderful thing about being religious is that you have the whole world figured out and you have like a rubric for exactly how you're supposed to behave and what happens after you die. And it just gives you this like serene, just totality at, at all moments. And um and just this pure explanation. And and so when I stopped being religious, I started being just distrustful of anything that would, you know, seem to give you that feeling because I just hated it so much. But then, you know, I feel like, I, I don't know, like, uh, like every woman of about 35 years old, like in the last 10 years, I've suddenly become slightly interested in astrology against my will. Like, I don't, I think it's just like, it's something baked into our DNA at this point. I don't, it's like, I'm so mistrustful of explanations and systems. And yet at the same time, I can't deny that it feels really good to have some sort of uh, like mythology about the human personality, which is so impossible to describe, right? So like I, I do, I have at different times, more like, like when I was, uh, the last time I was like really grieving, I suddenly became like, I went to a psychic, I went to an astrologer, but it was like, I felt like I was being naughty. Like, I felt like I was like, this is the most deviant thing for, for both reasons, both because the, the like old Christian side of me is like, this is hedonist, you know, and like, and just deviant in some way. And then the, the rational part of me was like, this is ridiculous. And you're like buying into something that is designed to dupe you, you know, but you know, it's just having a system it's just really appealing to have a system yeah and having it having an excuse for things you're like oh because even today i i messed up the time of this 
little hangout um, and Laura very uh, generously gave me a pass and said that Mercury is in retrograde. So oh. there have been lots of, yeah. you know. See, I do, like, I do like things like that. I do yeah, like there being a go-to. I like there being a planet to blame for things. It's, exactly. you know. Yeah. Not me, it's that guy. Mercury. <laughs> but it's, it's the same way as like when you say like, oh, it's the Lord's plan or something. Yeah. You know, there's, all, there's always an out. There's always a way to explain it if you have a, you know, uh, inscrutable system. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. I mean, you guys know this about me. I, I am a church, a church goer, but I like it because I feel like there are, are only unanswered questions. So I go there to like keep um, exploring them and keep sort of... Uh, digging digging at at them you know but i have like a really cool priest and it's episcopal church so it's yeah, like it's all yeah. different <laughs> no it, it, uh, episcopal it is, is like yeah a whole different yeah whole different that's what I, over I, I tell myself i'm like also i'm countercultural by going to church <laughs> <laughs> it sort of is true although uh yeah I, I, I do know like a lot of women our age that, that do go to church, like more than I thought I would know at this part of my life. It's all older people and me because I go to the 8 a.m. service. And and I like these people so much and I'd have no other opportunity to to both to like- Interact with a random group yeah. of older people. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Both be in their physical presence, but like I go to coffee hour afterwards and I like talk to these people and I love them. I think they're yeah. fascinating and like- so much history there, right? Do you know what I mean? Like they've seen and, and experienced so much. I mean, there's, yeah, so much history in that room. Totally. And I live in Northern California and like my priest is like environmental activist. And so it's, it's, it's a different, I think it's a different, you know, situation than, than what you grew up with. I mean, the, the mythology is really powerful though. And I like, I can't, I can't discount that. It's more like, yeah, if you grew up being like, surrounded by a certain like very narrow vision of what christianity uh could be like it, it can leave a bad taste in your mouth no, but i mean but you know it's not for no reason that that um that you know the, the church persists and it has so much power in the american psyche it's, i mean the, the mythology is just it's just very powerful it speaks i mean it's it shares a lot with a lot of other religions but it's there yeah um well, first, I, I do want to hear about Laura's uh, relationship with the Zodiac. Uh, also, I rewatched the movie Zodiac the other night, which like was one of my favorite movies when I first saw it. I was like, this is genius, and rewatched it, and it holds up. It's so good and so beautiful, and David Fincher is a maniac and brilliant. Um, but um, so I want to hear about Laura's relationship with the Zodiac, and also. Um, I think that that sort of talking about church in Northern California and and, and growing up, uh, Catherine Lacey grew up in Tupelo, Mississippi, and Laura Vandenberg grew up in Orlando, Florida. And uh, so I guess I, I'm curious about how the, I mean, the South is in, they're very different Souths, Mississippi and Florida, to be sure. But um, like, I'm curious, neither, well, Laura's living in Florida now, but had been away for a while, but how, like, how one just like can't shake the South is really interesting to me too. Um, but talk about the Zodiac first, Laura, sorry. Yeah, well, I, this might be like disappointing. I, I feel like, I mean, I am into astrology, but I'm like like a casual, like a, like, a, like a weekend warrior of astrology. You know what I mean? I mean, there are a lot of people with like really deep knowledge. I'm not, I, I think my knowledge is pretty 
superficial, but I do think, I mean, I think the, I think the, the astrologers that resonate less with me are the ones that are super predictive where they're, they're kind of like on like July 10th, like rain down from the sky. Um, yeah. Who are, who are trying to, right. Who are, who are, who are super, super sort of predictive and, and more ones who are just sort of more into like identifying like currents that are moving through time mm. and the kind of natural tendencies of those, of those currents. And I do, I mean, I think Catherine and everything that you're saying about religion is super interesting. I mean, I grew up in a household that was not super religious. We did go to church like on holidays or, you know, have baptisms and sort of observe Christian holidays. But, um, but yeah, Episcopalian, not, yeah, not certainly not intensely religious. And I, I do, I think that you're right that mytholo mythologies, whatever they are, that can give us, that can make the world feel like it has a um, comprehensible shape are mm -hmm. super compelling and I, I think I also sort of am drawn to them and resist them in in equal in equal measure but yeah I mean mainly yes I'm like a, a casual astrology enthusiast and like like having planets to blame for stuff <laughs> yeah like, I'm argue I can be like we need to chill out Mercury's in retrograde this planet's spinning backwards it's not <laughs> us them <laughs> And you're like, that is why I need three glasses of wine. It's not yeah. mine. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's not me. Yeah, basically just shifting. Yeah, Shif shifting blame for my, myself to various planets. Um, I can clarify that's Emily Bell. Had three glasses of wine. Lord, <laughs> I did not do that on this call. Neither did I. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. What, what came after? Oh, the South. Yeah, um, yeah. The South. yeah, yeah. I mean, Florida, right, is a is a different South from me, but I think I mean I lived in Central Florida from birth until twenty two, and when I left, I was really ready to go, um, and and had this idea I would just sort of shed my Floridian skin and emerge a wholly different person, um, which surely did not in any way happen. Yeah, but on Vandenberg. <laughs> I think, um, I mean, I think now it's so, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I mean, there's so many things I could say about this, but just in the, in the interest of, of brevity, I mean, I think it took me a long time to recognize that like Florida is probably my foremost influence as a writer in some ways, just in terms of like aesthetics. You know, the saturation, the sort of, the very, seeing, um, uh, you know, tradition between the the kind of bizarre and the and the mundane. I mean, all of that is so um, endemic to place. And I think being away and then kind of circling back and spending more time with family here, I mean, it's been fascinating to come back to the place. Fascinating, troubling, wondrous, like all of the, all of the things to come back to the place was sort of a different, a different vantage. And there's so much here that is so like the landscape, which I thought was like, just so like sticky and hot as a kid. Um, and now I'm like, you know, my sister took me to the Cypress like this is so cool and so beautiful and how could I not see um you know why did I just want to be in like some ridiculous mall <laughs> you're a kid. 
with a guy that had like bad neck tattoos. Oh, <laughs> oh man, you got to neck tattoos and before 22. <laughs> this is advanced. Yeah. Um, advanced yeah. explains a lot. Yes. Yeah. That's a very clear picture right there. Yeah. So I think I, I mean, I feel like my relationship with Florida has actually shifted a lot in the last couple of years in interesting, in interesting, interesting ways. But, but at the very least, I have like totally made my peace with the fact that I am like place and of this place after resisting it for a really long time. Yeah. Um, Catherine, when you did your um, residency uh, in, uh, Ole Miss. Ole Miss, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what was that like, and what were you writing while you were there? I can't remember, like, the timeline. You know, I was I was finishing Pew, and at the same time, I was starting the book I'm still writing. Um, it was weird. It was weird for me. It was weird for me partially because, like, I had gotten divorced, like, a year before, and this, like, Ole Miss is, like, a, you know hour drive or less from my hometown and it's kind of like it's sort of like a little like a lot of the people that I knew growing up would like live and maybe in Oxford and or go back and forth or whatever um and I just I don't know I just felt I just felt the uh uh the like just community disapproval was so large <laughs> you know like even like being an hour away from home by car it was like not far enough away um, and not that people were, were were nasty because that's part of the like the the glamour of Mississippi is that they're never nasty to your face. Yeah. Not exactly. They're like there's ways that it comes through, and I, it's it was just um, yeah. I had I had such a, you know it was um, I was so resistant to going back, and even there's there's like so many reasons that I like can't even or like won't even explain or couldn't get into right now about like why it was so loaded for me, but uh, I also really wanted to do it. I mean, so it was just like, it just so happened that it's an amazing MFA program and I wanted to be teaching and like, it was a, a wonderful opportunity, but it was like, in order to get this wonderful thing that you want, you're gonna have to go sit in the place that you don't wanna be for nine months. And like, that's when I started boxing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And that place, the, the gym I found there, I just loved. I loved, they were so, like most of the people that went there, their politics were wildly different from mine. Like the men that ran it were kind of like sexist and and like in some ways by, you know, by some measures like sort of awful, but like I loved them and I really liked being around them. Uh, you know, like I, I, I didn't disapprove of them even though I knew we were very different. Yeah. And that like, you know, uh, it was, you know, the very beginning of the of the Trump times and uh, a very strange, strange time. But the students were wonderful. I like, I had just, they were just so great. And this is what happens when you have like a fully funded MFA program. They're just, they're great. So, um, and there's like n none of that anxiety that they'll be in like other MFA programs where people are going into debt. Uh, I should be shit talking MFA programs, but um, I mean, it's no secret, right? But anyway, uh, I, I enjoyed myself. I, but I felt like I lived in rap two different worlds. It was like, teaching mode and then there was like the rest of the time and uh, I had my partner there and a dog so I was like I survived but um yeah I, I actually, feel oh go ahead sorry no that's it go ahead I think the most I mean the most important time I, I mean I, I actually try to live my life in two different worlds at all times that's sort of what mm -hmm. I what I 
work towards because then there is that constant tension and I don't get complacent in either one of my lives. And like when I was in, when I was in, nobody asked, but I'm just telling you guys this. Uh, <laughs> we want, we because I forgot that we're recording and I'm just, yeah, I'm just talking to my That's friend. That's good. So, yeah. Uh, but like when I was in college, um, I uh, went to school in Chicago on the South side, but I worked um, at, in retail and at restaurants on the North side and like nobody, like it just was not, it was just not part of the conversation, like where I went to school and what I was studying. And I just, I had these two different worlds. And then now I, I, you know, pre COVID I've been remote working in California for over three years now. And like having, having that division, just like, it just keeps me, it keeps me on my toes and it keeps me like, um, uh, always sort of switching to different communities so I don't get like too like complacent in, in either one. And, um, I don't know, I think it's, it's hard, but it's like good for us. And, um, to have that, you know, that constant tension of, of different, of living and having your feet in different worlds, you know? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, I feel like it's, it's valuable and important and yeah, keeps us like, it's like a, uh, I mean, good, good for, us in so many ways, but also like helps sort of fend off like deep insularity. Mm. Totally. And it's just a fear that I had, you know, as someone, you know, acquiring and publishing books in New York City, I'm like, I can't just have this be reflective of this worldview. Um, because that's boring and like and awful and I don't want that to happen. And um I don't know. I think it's it's a really interesting time right now to see how things are going to shift after people have been remote and there's just i don't know there's i we're again now just really talking to my friends Catherine and Laura. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i feel like there, there's just been so much disruption and a lot of deep tragedy around it but it's i i am weirdly hopeful you know like i like i feel like shit right now but i am weirdly hopeful i don't know how you guys are feeling I do feel a kind of, yeah, a bizarre feeling of, of hope or it's just, or at least just difference. I mean, I don't think that like the entire country changing their habits will have no effect. Like, I think it's interesting that it was only after um, like a, the quarantine, like lifestyle basically um, took over a good chunk of the country that then people were, you know, comfortable with just being like, oh, I think I understand what the Black Lives Matter things mean a little bit more than I did before. And now I'm comfortable like saying things I wouldn't have been comfortable saying before or um, like digesting opinions that maybe felt like a little bit out of reach before. I mean, I'm just speaking about basically white people yeah. getting comfortable with uh, accepting their 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 role and their complicity in, in a, whole, a whole structure that I don't, I just, I can't imagine that that we would have had people be so receptive to change if they hadn't just changed all of their habits, yeah. you know, and seen and gone through a couple months of that and then seen that like, oh, like I can live my life in a totally different way. And like, what else can change? Like, oh, some of my ideas could change. Like a lot of things could, could move around. Why is like our community put together this way? Like, why don't I know who my neighbors are? Like, I will go introduce myself. You know, like so there are a lot of things that just started to seem like uh, just bound to happen, you know? So, yeah, yeah, I, yeah I, I do have a bizarre kind of inkling of hope. I think, yeah, I mean, I feel like 
we're in a very grim situation in Florida right now. So I think that does not feel yeah. <laughs> particularly hopeful thinking about the pandemic specifically at this moment in time. So I, yeah, I feel like a bit thinking about being in sort of different headspaces. Like, I'm just like, where will we be in three right. months or six months? I mean, we have been effectively like abandoned by our leadership, um, who is just sort of living in this like fictional reality that it's not a problem that we're having 10,000, 12,000, 15,000 cases a day, that Florida is now having more cases a day than New York City did at its peak, which is just it's crazy. Like, yeah, crazy. Yeah, but I think, um, just in terms of thinking of, yeah, like racial, I mean, to me, the thing that feels really distinctive and feels different about this moment is that I do feel like a lot of organizations are really understanding that it's not enough to say, I stand with you, I support mm -hmm. you, you have to back it up with meaningful action and action that is designed um that that is sort of with an eye toward like structural change yeah. um that that you can't yeah you you cannot you cannot slide with this sort of um you know whether it be like a corporation or an academic community or a publishing house or a literary arts organization like you can't slide with this sort of like thoughts and prayers version of a statement like you need to you need to prepare in the how your organization is structured and who it is including and who it is throwing up barriers for whether intentionally or unintentionally and and to and like like it has to be um the words have to be met with action uh and and that statements really aren't meaningful if they're not accompanied by an action plan um, and a timetable for executing that action plan. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think of course, like the deep tragedy is that it's taken so much suffering and so much right. death for that message to be heard, which is like unforgivable. Um, but but I do feel like like the emphasis on structural change is like resonating in a way in in um, you know again academic communities, arts organizations, publishing houses in a way that it just wasn't perhaps previously. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my, my hope is that, um, you know, with everything that's happening and especially with sort of cancel culture that, that those who are canceled are not just, I know we've done like leaps to, but they're, everything's like interrelated now, but, right. but those who are canceled and I'm speaking now to like media and publishing, um, that there's not just like replacing that person with someone who is like less foul or like we don't know that they're foul yet you know but an actual like reorganization of these institutions that have been like so hierarchical and so like you know doing something for my friend and that you know I just I really hope I'm I really hope reimagining re yeah. reimagining yeah yeah totally Laura Vandenberg and Catherine Lacey have written two incredibly brilliant, uh, both timely and timeless books. I Hold a Wolf by the Ears and Pew, and you guys should buy them from your local bookstores because that's the only way we get to keep doing what we're doing. So please go do that. And thank you, Catherine. Thank you, Lauren, for, uh, Lauren, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Laura and them. Lauren. Uh, thank you, Catherine. <laughs> thank you, Laura. <laughs> 
Thank you for, yeah, thank you for hosting us. <laughs>